Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. You can find me on Twitter at BenLewisSN590. You can find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. And while we had another exciting week of tennis on the Canadian side, Felix Ogier-Aliassime making a fifth career final. Uh, but Mike, for this week's episode, we have a, a very special guest in studio. Yes, we are happy to have with us uh, Jake Gold, President and CEO of the Management Trust Limited. Jake, uh, probably a name that you're going to recognize. He's one of Canada's most successful artist managers and for six seasons, a judge on the national television hit Canadian Idol. And uh, one band that forever will undoubtedly be tied to Jake, of course, is the Tragically Hip who transformed into a national icon under the direction of his management and leadership. Uh, my favorite band of all time, saw them 22 times, which clearly pales in comparison to Jake here. But thank you so much for joining us and, and wanting to share your passion for tennis with us tonight. I think McIntyre Lewis is an actual, has a nice ring to it. You oh, know? yeah. McIntyre Lewis. Um, like maybe a future doubles doubles tandem. <laughs> he would be getting the short end of that stick, though, I'm telling you. Well, that's okay. Mm, maybe not. But um, uh, thanks for having me, guys. Um, it's great that you guys are doing this. Uh, we need more tennis information in Canada. Well, we're trying our best to provide it. And, and Jake, as we get started, how about you share with us and our listeners what your connection to the sport is, when did you fall in love with tennis, and uh, and how that came to be? Well, interestingly enough, I grew up pretty poor. So when I grew up playing tennis, um, if you didn't have money, you couldn't play anywhere except for outdoor public courts, which probably still the same today, but um, then it was really an elitist-type sport. So I would play at summer camp, and there was a tennis court at the apartment building I lived in, and I was like 11, 12 years old. Like and a concrete court, like cracks in it. Yeah, like that well, sort of okay. no, but it wasn't that bad. And interestingly enough, um, you know, it was great because it was ball hockey in the winter and tennis in the summer. They took the nets down. It became, we had a, a, a perfect ball hockey court. We actually had, because there was, uh, I think there was two courts there. And because there was two courts, we literally would have two ball hockey games going at the same time with, with fence. So perfect. So, you didn't so have to go get the ball and, and you had boards, yeah. right? Like, you know, we played contact ball hockey back then. Um, so, so, uh, because of that, um, there wasn't a lot of people to play against. So I used to just go out and serve all the time by myself. And then I played at summer camp, but I never had a lesson. And one of my dreams in life was, you know, growing up watching McEnroe and watching Connors and Borg, like that era, we're talking the 70s. When they were in their prime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, late 60s, early 70s. Um, growing up watching those guys. Um, and I, you know, I played with a Dunlop Max Ply and then I had a Jack Kramer pro staff. And my brother had the Arthur Ashe. And I think he still has his Arthur Ashe, <laughs> the aluminum and graphite one. Wow. Okay the head racket, which was like the first sort of modern type racket. Um, and I played at summer camp, and my, but one of my goals in life was always to afford to play indoor tennis. That if I could play indoor tennis, it was like I've, I finally a- arrived in some sort of financial way. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, um, and we signed the hip in 86, and things started to happen. And in 19... 19- 
92, I think it was. No, 94 was when I joined an indoor tennis club. And 92, I bought my first house. And 94, I joined an indoor tennis club. And that's when you knew you had made it. That's when I knew I had made it. Because <laughs> I could now start playing tennis indoors and, uh, and, um, and had enough money because it wasn't just joining the club. It was like court fees right, and, right. and everything else. So and I'm surprised the house came before the indoor membership, to be well, honest. Well, I was married at the time. <laughs> okay. so. so you had to sort of yeah, cater to. No, but actually, interestingly enough, no, part of the reason we got the house is um, we had had an office and we thought, let's buy a house. And that has a basement apartment in, and we'll make the basement apartment the office. So my partner and I said, I'll, you know, was like, I'm going to live in the house because he already had a house. I'm going to live in the house, but we'll have the basement apartment as, uh, as the office. And by 94, things were going really well. And the business was growing so much that we had to move out of the basement apartment um, into a real office because my staff started to expand and, and everything else. So... I'm a little jealous of the guys that hooked you on the sport because I only caught them at the tail end of their careers when they were just like a shell of their former selves. But I do remember being, you know, six, seven years old, sitting on the couch with my dad watching Connors and McEnroe, kind of just they're just hanging on. Although Connors did have that pretty exciting run at the U.S. Open in uh, at 39, what was that I want to say 89 or 91? But yep. uh, still, they had the passion for the sport, mm-hmm. and that's what hooked me. Right, is you have these guys that are just yeah, they're older. Although they would have been like, what, Federer's age today, but a different kind of 38 at that time. They had the passion, but the game wasn't I don't think, there uh, Did McEnroe play that late? I know Connors did. I don't think. No, probably Anyways, not. Talking right. about the U.S. Open, I brought you guys some gifts. Oh, look oh, at this. Wow. Um, you choose which one you want. I wish we, we could a, share this. A couple with, hats uh, here. U.S. Open 2019 hat and a U.S. Open 2017, 2017. hat. So I've gone every year since 99. I'm going to choose the uh, U.S. Open 2017, by Okay, the way. and I... Oh, you took the one I was going to take. Okay, but by I, the way, well, next time by I the get way, dips, by the, the way, next time we get offered something, I get first. Card. By the way, okay. Mike, the 19's a better hat. Is it? Yeah. You like the new logo? Is that, yeah? No, I actually... The funny thing is, is I have every hat with that logo, like, in order, because mm-hmm. I go every year, yeah. and then this year, they changed the logo. Or last year, yeah, 18, they ago. changed the logo, so it's now that logo. It's so, still growing on me. So I think you have the last year of the old logo, and okay. you and have, have the, the second the... second year of the new okay. logo. So. I picked incorrectly, but Next that's, time that's we okay. rock, paper, scissors, but anyways. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, the thing is, I, I and I always buy extras for these such occasions well, to, to give to... Uh, it's the first time does, we've been gifted something. On the podcast, that's true. Well, uh, I got water from you guys. There, so. is that, does that make us even? I don't yeah, know. No, and you bought me. You bought me uh, fish tacos for dinner tonight. Well, so. maybe I just walked out after you left. So you know, who knows if I actually paid that tab or not? But uh, mm-hmm. sure, no, let's but... let's allow that illusion to, to exist. But <laughs> right. yeah, thanks for coming on again. Yeah, we appreciate it, and uh, you're kind of touching on it. I think an important topic uh, for Canadian tennis, especially over the last decade or so and the surge that we've seen in the sport has been accessibility to the sport and and getting uh, rackets in young kids hands and and giving them that opportunity to play which as you said probably didn't exist the same way it does today and I think we have kind of bridged that gap where it isn't just elitist uh, anymore uh, with with new sort of social programs where uh, all classes and all walks of life can finally play this sport and we have more courts like across the country as well. We do, but I will say that um, to get into a certain level, you still need money. You still need you still need money. Um, you maybe you don't need money for a racket or for because every kid's got a pair of shorts and a pair of running shoes, more or less. Right. You know, more or less. 
um, at least in this country, um, but um, to actually um, have the, the, the skills, you still need some kind of coach, some kind of teacher. Right. You got to put if in you the look, hours, if you, and the if hours you look cost at, money. If you look at, you know, Milos, who was his dad, was the one that took him out. If you look at Dennis, his mom, who was a tennis coach, ten- who is a tennis coach, took him out. Right. So free coaching. Right. So they didn't have to pay for that kind of coaching until they could afford to have that kind of and, and Milos's father, you know, was a successful guy. So he had money to, to hire uh, Casey. And so they 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 came from money. Like it wasn't like um and I'm gonna say Dennis did, but his Dennis's mom is a coach. Like that's what she does. Yeah. You, so you know how much money was saved there, just having it in house. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that um to get to the to the elite levels, you have to have a coach. I have a, a really good friend. He's got two kids in the Tennis Canada program. One of them, um, uh, his daughter is, uh, I think she's, I think, I'm not, I'm not sure if she was in the semis or won the Orange Bowl last year. She's under 14. Wow. Um, and he's spending a lot of money. He's a well-off guy, but he's spending a lot of money. And this is with... Tennis Canada's help, and this isn't a slight on Tennis Canada by any means, but that's the reality. That's the reality yeah. of what it takes to 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 move ahead in yeah. the game. I've got three kids. My oldest is six. I've got twins who are four, and they're just getting to the age where they want to start getting out and hitting. And I'm almost afraid of taking them out too often to the point where they get too good, or I'm going to have to pay for it between that in the summers, <laughs> hockey in the in the winters. Um, just stop the hockey. Oh yeah, are we going to touch on your philosophy? Is this the time? Do you want to talk about your hockey and tennis? Philosophy. If you, you if you want to, we can to, we can talk about it now. I, I feel like some negativity towards my other favorite sport is coming. Well, but. we should just point out uh, if we're talking about expensive sports. I think in Canada, I, I do think the cost of becoming an elite level hockey player is actually higher. Uh, I would argue. Oh I, well, I um, I think the cost uh, the cost overall may be cheaper. Um, to get to the elite elite, because I think at some point, you know, um, you, you know, especially it's a team sport and, right. and things like that. Um, I think that because tennis is an indivi- individual sport, the You're amount of money. you yourself. Entirely. Yeah, it's, it's a slightly, I think, I think in the early stages, obviously to have equipment for a kid to play and everything else cost way more mm-hmm. and to join the leagues and all of that other stuff. And I think costs, the stereotype is that hockey costs more, right? The, the prevailing thought is that probably a hockey does, yeah, but, but a I pa- can see that the tennis would be. like costs a lot of money. I, it's the coaching side of tennis. To just play the game. It's night and day. Like, hockey's way more expensive. Yeah. Like, way, way, way more expensive. But when you get to an elite level. But when you get to an elite level, different. the coaches are provided and everything else. Because yeah. it's more, it's a team thing. It's different. Which leads me to my... Yeah, here we go. Let's hear it. Yeah. So, I have a problem with most team sports at the professional level. Compared to tennis. Because most team sports at the professional level... Um, and I would say this in, in the case of hockey and basketball for sure, um, too many teams make the playoffs. And the best of the sport doesn't happen until the playoffs. And that those players get paid whether they win or lose. Put that against tennis. Where you lose, you go home. You lose, you make half as much as the guy that beat you. 
Your expenses are all your own. And if you don't win, you don't make any money. Well, sure. In a team sport, if you're in the top 700 or 800 in the world, you're doing just fine. And in tennis... No, you're a a multimillionaire. Yeah, yeah. Better than just fine. Right. And in tennis, unless you're in the top 100, and even then it's a grind, you're carrying all those costs yourself. Look at the dollars on who makes what in the top 100. It ain't millions. Yeah. It ain't seven figures. And well, that's what, that, that that separation once you get inside, you know, pick the number, the number 16 versus the number 88. It's a, a drastic difference of what these players are making. And, and uh, you know, we've had Vashik Pospisil on the program kind of talk about this this last season and uh, the, the need for a players union on the ATP side. And I think the WTA needs it as well, because especially when you get to these lower level tournaments, mm-hmm. um, there's not nearly enough money being given to these players. Uh, a lot of the tournaments are raking in plenty of dough from sponsorships and But, the, but and that's a different tact where I'm going. Where right. I'm going is I'm just comparing it to team sports. And what I'm saying is... the pressures, is, I guess. What I'm, it's not even the pressure. Is that if you don't win, you don't make money. Well, that's golf as well. Right? But yeah. there's a difference between golf and tennis, and we can get into that too. <laughs> it's golf... Next time on Matchpoint Canada. Mm-hmm. Yes. Golf, there's no opponent impeding your abil- ability to win. Correct. You right? against yourself. You, you against the course yeah, for that yeah. matter. So tennis is the only the only sport close to tennis where your opponent impe- impedes your ability to win is boxing. Yeah. It's the only other sport. Mm-hmm. Whereas hockey if they win, okay, but if they lose, they still make the They're same amount of money. Yeah. And don't talk to me about playoff bonuses and all that. Yeah. Because that's when they have to start trying. Like, we all know playoff hockey is a different sport yeah. than regular season hockey. Right. Playoff basketball is a different sport mm-hmm. than regular season basketball. Tennis is the same sport. Now, you can make the argument the majors are harder because the three sets and everything. On the women's side, it's the exact same. Yeah. Right? You don't win. You don't make any money. You go home. I think we're going to see some progress because Vashik, as we said, has been very outspoken. He's really come into his own. Well, advocate, they have they have right? a players' union per se. The problem is it's it's too much tied to the tour itself, right? Right, and and um, I, I think I listen. I've been watching everything he says. I read all the stuff that he's been talking about. I agree with him a hundred percent. I think. And I think even the big three talk about how the money's kind of too top down mm-hmm. and it's not spread out enough. And I agree with that. I think, you know, the idea that, um, and I understand, you know, after what I just said, that, you know, you go into the Australian Open and you you win $3 million, right? And what's the U.S. Open this year? Could be four or something? Well, or every it year co- it seems like it's going yeah, up. It's going up, up right? right? Yeah. But they're not getting a fair percentage of the gate like they should be. And a lot of tournaments don't want to share those numbers or reveal what those numbers are either, is what I'm gathering. Yeah. And the players want to know how much is out there and then what percentage of that are we getting. It seems like a, a fair ask. But. Uh, and, and on the other side, what they would tell the players is, well, we don't share in your, in your sponsorship money. Mm-hmm. You know, and how many players like we, have we, sponsorship money? The players who get a lot of money from sponsorship are the players that are already kicking butt on the tour and making tons of money, right? Yeah. Yes, but Just, uh, but but that's the argument that they're going to make on both sides. Is yeah. they're going to say like if you look at a team sport, the team um doesn't allow separate sponsorships beyond certain things, right? Right? So so if you're if you're playing for the Raptors and your sweaters are Nike, um that's a team thing, it's not a player thing. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, on the shoes, the players get their, make their own shoe deal, but everything else, not really. So that, they're going to make that argument is that we don't share in all your ancillary revenue if you only want to talk about cutting up the pie of the gate, right? So, you know, that, that's one of the big arguments. The interesting thing is, and you're, it's, it's kind of a controversial thing to talk about, because, but we should touch on it, is the WTA versus the ATP. Well, and that's where I was just going to go is, you know, compared to most other professional sports, women's tennis is, is way ahead of their, their fellow, um, you know, um, athletes in other, in other industries. Uh, and yet still, it's a divide between the men and the women. Um, much further to go still. Well, in what in what way? I I don't I don't know what the divide is. Like, are, and the majors they win the same money. The rest of the year, though, I think, right? Like when we look at there's four majors, right? And that's again great if you're those players that are winning and are advancing and are getting yeah bigger paydays. But, but I think throughout the rest of the year, you know, if you look at Rogers Cup, Coop Rogers, the men and the women split between the two cities. Uh, there's still a divide there. Well, Although they would argue, well, it's two different levels of tournament between a Masters 1000 and what is it on the women's side, a Premier, a Premier 5? Yeah, it's, or not a premier, it's not a Premier mandatory, which is why it's not quite the same. Right, first. so I think but, in uh, between there are, there are far less tournaments for the women to enter, and they're not seeing the same value in between those, those four slams. Okay, now we're going to get controversial. Here we go. Um, when you go to see the women play at the Rogers Cup, they only sell the lower bowl. They don't even put up the grandstands. In Toronto. In Toronto. Montreal, different story. But that's because in Montreal, they don't, they, they're not temporary stands. Do you think that's, I think it's just because, and I'm biased because I'm from Montreal, Ben, right? You know this, and Jake, yes. you, you, I've told of you course, as well. Of course you're going to say that, but I'm the telling you. The rabid sports fans, the rabid tennis fans in Montreal, they love the sport there at a level that's different. It, it's always been, but it's also been developed longer in some ways, you know, um, but I, I would like to see the numbers because I don't think they're that much better. I think um, overall when the women are here, I know when the men are here, every seat sold and it's like 13000 and change. When the women, it's just the bowl. And Montreal's consistent year to year. Yeah, but we're not talking about Montreal. We're talking yeah, about and, overall. Uh, and part of and that the is, purse super, is based, the pur- superstar draw though, right? I think, uh, you know, Nadal's and Federer's and Djokovic's, these are household names and if you have Serena and Venus coming to your tournament, Maria Sharapova, those players in their heyday, that's bringing in a bigger draw. But but right now, I think uh, WTA, we want a few of these players probably marketed a little bit better. I, I think if you told the name Sophia Kennan to a lot of just sports fans, they, they're not really sure who she is. And she but was the Australian Open champion, I, for example. I played with Venus on center court one year. Wow. And now, now we're jealous. <laughs> and I played with Kleisters too. Mm-hmm. And I played with Murray once too. But um, During which comeback of Kleisters did you play with her? Right before <laughs> she won the U.S. Open. Oh, the, wow. second time. the second time. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have a pretty, I have a good story about that. But I played with her and I played with Venus two years later. And, and in between I played with Murray. And um, um, when the women, even when I played with Venus. They didn't have the second stands up. Okay. So, and like Serena was there last year and they didn't have the stands up. Right. So. That I, surprised I think, me think, actually because, you know, with, with Bianca rising as the hashtag goes and whatnot, 
are we going to see those stands come up the next time? I mean, the women are here this year. The next time they're here, maybe we do see those stands up because of what Bianca's brought to the game in Canada. That's the hope. And with Leila Anna, Annie Fernandez, who's just qualified for uh, Acapulco, she's pushing towards, at some point this I, year, I, maybe I, the I top think, 100. Maybe they do get those stands up. I, th- I think Layla needs to put some... Uh, Muscle? Put some muscle on, yeah. Well, she's only but, 17, too. But. Yeah, but I, I think that um, um, I think that if you look at uh, what we were talking about is the purses, mm. and the purses can only be based on the size of the tournament and the amount of money it generates because that's how they, they figure out the purses. So the I was surprised, like, even if you looked at Marseille last week, it wasn't a big place to play in. It was a small arena, right? Where if it was a 500 instead of a 250, it would have been in a bigger place. Mm-hmm. So there's a higher purse. Or maybe they charge more money per ticket than they do for the 250s because I, I didn't buy a ticket and I wouldn't know. So I think that, you know, if you look at, because that world is my world too, where we go into stadiums or we go into arenas, we go into venues and our our takeout is based on the ticket price and the capacity right. of the venue. So it's the same math, right? So when you have a stadium where you're selling potentially 6,500 less seats or 6,000 less seats than you do for the men, uh, the women versus the men in Toronto, you're going to have less money coming in. So the purse is going to have to be less. Yeah. So it's not, it's, not a, it's not a matter of um, it's the WTA has to catch up, but the WT has to do is they have to start to draw more. I mean, they so that comes they, back to, to the marketing. Well, yep. it is, it isn't, it isn't because it's, it's very funny. You know, people will talk about it. Um, when you look at the TV numbers, they'll tell you that the women draw as well as the men on television. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the live numbers, they don't nearly draw as well as men. Yeah, that's true. In, in person, which is why they made, Cincinnati, they made Toronto by all intents and purposes combined event. Right. But they made all those tournaments combined events. Right. Because the women weren't carrying it on their own as live ticketed events. On TV, you know, Bianca and 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 Serena's uh uh final final everybody watched outdrew even in America outdrew the men's final. For sure. The right? US Open. Right. right, in the U.S. Open. So on TV, they get better numbers for the women, but not in person. It's funny. I love, I enjoy watching the women's tennis more than the men's. And to me, it's, there's, it's a deeper field right now, the WTA Tour. There are so many talented women. It's more wide open. It's none of this big three, not that I'm bashing the big three. I mean, enjoy them while they're here. But I enjoy the complete unknown. Anyone could come in and win this tournament, and it's not going to be Nadal, Federer, or Djokovic every time. Well, I, I think, think yeah. go ahead, Ben. Uh, I was going to say, I think the point is, we, you know, we we don't have to pit the two tours against one another. We don't, can... but we're having some fun with it. <laughs> no, but I, I, th- I, th- I think, I think you should feel privileged to be a tennis fan in the era of the big three. Yes, you should. You should. You should keep that in mind. We're never going to be seeing this again. You you brought up uh, coming coming up and not watching McEnroe Connors like in their limelight. It was more the the tail end of their careers. I mean, how fortunate can you be to to see, I would say, 
the three greatest ever to be on a tennis court uh, come up in this era and get to see all of them at their height and as they get older. And it's and been, even as they're in the later phase of their career, undoubtedly yeah. just by virtue of their age, they're still at the height right. of their... Exactly. Well, I think, I think also, I think what makes it great now is is this is this year this going to be the year that someone is this uh, going to be the year well, we've the been asking well. for enough years now <laughs> no, that no, at some no. point it's going to no, happen no no but but i mean look at look at dominic team and look at uh, zverev finally had a good major yeah, which closer. he hadn't nick we all know if nick can play consistent he can beat anybody in the game um you know uh Medvedev. Uh, Medvedev, very tough name, right? Um, how <laughs> yeah. how well he's been doing? No, you're right. Um, there's there's a lot of guys who are. Have, I don't think we've ever had this many sort of ready to take the next step. Yes, as we've had before, um, which is where you know Dennis and Felix fit in. Yep, right, because they're sort of just slightly down from those guys. Give Dennis and Felix another year or two, and then they'll be at, at that level. I'll just say now you're you're listening to Matchpoint Canada and our guest this week, uh, former manager of the Tragically Hip and uh, CEO of the Management Trust Limited, Jake Gold. You can find him on Twitter at Jake0458. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. And I just want to transition this conversation to, into the action that we had last week as we're talking about these up-and-coming players, like nearing that mantle. And Stefano Tsitsipas, of course, another one. And he beat Felix Auger-Aliassime in the finals of Marseille. And now we're talking five ATP finals for Felix, which to at me... At the age of 19. To me is incredibly impressive. And then at this point, a, a few people are asking, well, when is he going to win one of these? I feel like it's coming soon. Tennis fans, eh? And tennis Twitter. <laughs> oh, man. No, Give but the did kid you, a break. But did you see? I think he was um, fourth all time in most finals for a teenager. For his age? Yeah. No, for a teenager. Yeah. yeah. Fourth uh, fourth all time, Nadal I think. Was number one. No, no, but Nadal, um, I think Felix was still the youngest. Right. Right. Um, um, Nadal was older by like a few months or something. Uh Stephanie Miles and Michael Gallo was go- were going at it on Twitter the other day. So I, <laughs> I missed I miss that and one. And Stephanie, uh, yeah. Stephanie stepped up with uh, her stats. Okay. And then I stepped up and said, said, count on you to come up with the real stats. And and she said, especially when it's against Michael, you know. Oh, there so, you go. <laughs> so, um, but Felix is in obviously some incredible company. And we just, patience, people, right? Like, look what he's done already. And he's not physically developed or matured yet to his... Uh, you know, potential. He's still got some some weights and muscle to put on there. The serve is only going to get better, as Brad Gilbert told us last week. Just wait until his serve starts clicking, and and Brad and felt like... I think it's like, improving already. Like well, Felix's his second serve, has, serve. Like, yeah, he was... A lot of double faults in the early part of this year, especially the ATP Cup, was yeah, like... It was, was really problem. hard to watch him play. Um, I, I There's some parts of his game that... Um, uh, and he hasn't changed it which is kind of bothering me that I see it and I know they see it. And we, uh, I'm sure you watched enough of his game and I'm yep. sure that's you, Ben, I'm talking to and you, yep. Mike, you watched enough of his game, but there's something that um, I'm not seeing um, that he needs to change is that he's, he seems to be making the wrong decisions on when he's approaching the net and he's not winning a lot of net points mm-hmm. and it, he, it happened against Sitsi pass. He, he won. Like you, if you think about the 
the previous matches, what was it, three in a row, he was down a break in the first set and came back and won the f- the first set. Right. It'd be nice if he didn't have to do that. Right, but, and, uh, but this he, is a tournament, I, I'll say, he had to save a few match points. He was down oh, like, yeah. three match points against Pierre Huker-Bear. Exactly. Uh, like he was really against the ropes a couple of times. But And, and he, his approach shots... He's not making good enough approach shots, and I think part of the problem is when he's getting ready to hit the approach shot, he hits it like a regular one of his forehands, and he tends to have a lot of uh, topspin on his forehand, so he's getting a lot of air on those balls, Right. and because of that, it's giving the opponent more chance to hit a, a better shot back at him, and I think he needs to flatten out his approach shots yeah, more and hit through the court more right. so when he's coming in behind it, it's 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 hitting his his opponent way faster, but he's giving his opponent way too much air, and or and he's approaching on the wrong times. And you're seeing he how many look at his net net point one statistics off the last few matches, and you'll see they're not that great. Right, and obviously when you're playing a Sitsi pass, for example, these guys are so ridiculously athletic. Uh, and, and quick around the court. If you give them those openings, they're going to get passing shots exactly. all day. Although exactly. Although Felix was in CeCe Pass's head there for a while, and it seems now he that was. Stefanos is maybe figuring it out a little bit because yeah. last year when they played, I forget what the event was, but Stefanos afterwards was kind of admitting, it, like, I can't beat this guy. It was Indian Wells. I don't have he, what he, it takes he, to he, beat he, this he, guy. He beat him in Indian yeah, Wells right? Right. last right. year. Um, no, that's 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 right. In fact, in fact, he was four, five, and zero oh on Sitsi Pass, and Sitsi Pass has won the last two. Yeah. Yes, if you consider junior play, as right? Well. But you that's know what? Right. People are going to start figuring out parts of his game the longer he's been on tour, and he's going to have to adapt, as you're mentioning, and change things as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But still, I mean, top but twenty had- at his age with five finals. Who wouldn't take that? No, that's right. I'll, no, I'll... no, no, no. But the thing is, is you have you have to start to adapt and. And I haven't seen it yet. And he keeps making the same mistake over and over and over again. Well, and to transition to Dennis, have we seen him adapt enough? Because it still seems like he's going at it with plan A. And where's the... I think he's he's showing more patience. Yeah, I I, I think, uh, you know, Brad Gilbert, who we spoke with last week, just views him as this kind of uh, hot and cold player. Right. Like a streak shooter in the NBA. When he's running hot, Hot, he's running... Hot temper, too, though. (laughs) Well, that can be the case when you're missing. And, yeah, he he has to bring in his margins uh, a little bit. You know, you have to go for lines. You have to go for very tight windows when you're playing a Djokovic, for example. You don't have to do that against... Martin Fuchsovich. You don't have to do that against, uh, you know, guys who are in the 70s, 80s, 90s. You can stretch your margin a little bit. And I De- think Dennis I think he's learning that. I agree with you. I also think that uh, the last couple of matches I saw him play, in fact, I think most of this season, outside of the Open, um, I thought he played with more patience. Yeah. That he's, 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 um, He's waiting for his spots. He's playing it more like a chess game, which is right. what he needs. He to, needs to. Absolutely. He needs to wait for his wait for his moment. Keep the ball in play. Mm-hmm. He needs to win first serves all the time. I think that um, he's missing out on the. I'm a lefty, so I understand what it means to hit a lefty serve. Oh, you would have fit in good on our previous podcast, which was the Southpaw Slice before right. we joined with Tennis Canada. Then. <laughs> right. And um, uh, I think I saw that, but like saw it as a thing, but. Um, I think that Dennis needs to hit his uh, slice way more often. Like, if if I'm him, I'm hitting the slice all the time until the guy returns it. Yeah, especially like, I, that that's a big weapon for a lefty out wide on the ad side. Yeah. Uh, you see Nadal use it so effectively all the time. And down the middle, even on the and deuce side, tee. because yeah, you're always true. hitting more often than not to the guy's backhand. Yep, you're right. 
right? And and so um, I win a lot of matches as <laughs> a tennis player slice. with just hitting a serve. <laughs> like I am not kidding. Like I believe like, you. Like, I'm a lefty as well. I, oh, I you know. are. So I you know. This is why I don't win tennis matches. Here we go. But I, I can't run. I can't run anymore. I can only play doubles. But the one thing I can do is I can hold my serve. There you go. Because I can hit a lefty slice. Well, hey, tell us a little bit more here if we're talking doubles about some of your doubles partners that you've had. Because you mentioned to me earlier you've played with Danny Nestor. I played you, with you've Daniel. mentioned now uh, getting a couple hit of with, times with Kleisters. And, you know, so which, which person, uh, which player have you shared a court with that kind of gave you the most uh, sort of goosebumps or, or nerves or excitement to be out there with? Well, um, my favorite. Uh, first of all, Daniel and I are friends. I, I I went to Brisbane with Daniel as his coach. I'm not really a coach, but you were brought that, along. That was my badge, okay. right? So I, I set up his practice sessions and I arranged for our transportation. I did what I do as a manager. I just for you a know, tennis player and tennis player they call them coach. I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was his coach. Um, uh, so I went to Brisbane with him. In uh, uh, I arrived New Year's Day 2016. Um, so I did eight days in Brisbane with him. And what, what was strange about that is we were hanging out. I played in this um, charity thing with him because it was always be like, oh, the guy from TV and the tennis player will right. we'll ask them. I, I used to get asked to do a lot of those things because I played. And, um, and so I'm sitting there talking to Daniel and his wife uh, about how I'm, sh- I'm a little bit short on my miles to hit um, – a certain status at elite or something on air Canada. Um, you know, I'm going to be a little short this year. And, 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 uh, and, um, his wife, his wife says to me, uh, um, let's, uh, let's, um, uh, why don't you come to Brisbane? And Daniel goes, yeah, come to Brisbane with me. And he goes one way and you'll hit the, you'll hit the number. And so I he was, was helping you. Out with and your... I was like, and I was like, well, he wasn't going to pay for it. It was like, you yeah. come to Brisbane. <laughs> oh, okay, I see, I see. <laughs> right. You come to Brisbane, right? So I was like, yeah, why don't I do that, right? So I left on the, on the, on the 30th, mm-hmm. and I landed on the 1st. So I got, you know, the final, I got, got it in before the end of the year, Yep. made my number, but also started the following year with a big number because it's like if you're up front, it's like 15,000 miles each wow. way. So I managed to, I managed to, so I went to Brisbane with him. And one of the reasons I wanted to go was because he was um, going for his 1,000th win. Doubles victory. Victory. Right. Yeah, victory. Just just match win on, yeah. on the ATP tour. And he needed you to accomplish that? Clearly. No, he said you should come because we were talking about it. And he said you should come because if I win in, in Brisbane, it'll be, all you have to do is win the first round, right? So he was playing with... Um, What's his name? The Knowles? Uh, no, he's playing with the uh, uh, Czech guy. Um, uh, oh, Stepanek. Stepanek, Stepanek yeah. right? Um, yeah, really? They made the Aussie Open finals. Well, um, that was right after that tournament. Right. So it was the first time they had played together, I think. And, and uh, so I got to Brisbane, went on the practice courts with them. We're, you know, Chilich was practicing, even Isovich. And, like, they all play tennis with each other. They're all hanging out with each other. It's a really good vibe. I've experienced the vibe before and I'm hanging out with Daniel and because I'm the coach, now the ATP guys are saying, okay, so when Daniel has his first match coming up, you know, if he wins, you know, we're going to have a cake and 
want to make sure he's available. We want to do a little peace interview. and So they're communicating with me yeah. for all of that stuff, which is totally my world. Yeah. Right? Um, Daniel had been delivered um, two rackets, um, two, a whole bunch of new rackets, actually, and he didn't like how they felt. Okay. And he didn't have his old rackets. And he said to me, um, he said, uh, how am I going to get my, my other rackets? I need my old rackets. And I said, well, where are they? He said, well, they're in Canada. And we're in Brisbane, right? Now, he's been practicing with the new ones, but he's not liking the feel of them. He's not sure if there's something wrong. And, um, and he's going for his 1,000s. And I'm talking to Stepanek, and I'm saying, you know, you got a lot of pressure on you. You know, you got <laughs> Daniel's, you know. So Don't mess this up. So Daniel, Daniel uh, knew that Tom Tebbett, was was coming to Sydney for the week after the Brisbane tournament was the Sydney tournament, and um, he said Tom will grab the bag, my bag for me from my dad with all the rackets because his dad was going to you know pick it up at his house. He said, but how do we get them from Sydney to Brisbane? I mean, it's a lot closer at least, right? Right. And I said, let me work on it. Yeah. So this. So I said. Your first match is going to be Monday. Um, this was Friday. I said, I'll have your rackets here on Sunday. When does Tom arrive in Sydney? He goes, he arrives Saturday. I said, your rackets will be here by Sunday. And you delivered, I'm assuming. Yes, he had his rackets by Sunday. And then he went on to the Aussie. match. <laughs> and he went on to lose his first round match. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so so now we're in Brisbane for the week. Yeah. Right. Maybe it was Tuesday. I forget. Whatever it was, it was he lost early in the week, but it was the first round match. Mm-hmm. So now he's can't he's not going to hit his thousand. Yeah. Now, you have to understand first doubles player to hit a thousand. Only three singles players had done it before. Uh, Federer, Lendl and uh, Connors, Connors, Connors yeah. were the only three singles players to hit a thousand. So Daniel's going to be the first doubles player. And and uh, only three other guys, and look at the list of the guys that had hit a thousand. So cause it was a big deal, right? For sure, so for sure. so now he can't do it till Sydney. Yeah. So I'm leaving on Sunday from Brisbane. That was it for your coaching career. Your right, ATP I was, coaching I was career done. was a You're once fired. and done. I'm leaving on Sunday, <laughs> and I'm flying. I'm flying home, and he had his match on Monday. And uh, he won his first round match, and he wasn't playing with Stepanek because Stepanek had to go to Australia to play in the qualies because he wanted to play singles oh, right, okay. in the qualies. So he played with a different guy in in Sydney, and they won the first round match. So on Monday he wins his first round match, and and I land. By that point, I'm landed in Toronto, and I and I land to see him getting presented with a cake and yeah. all the pictures and everything else. And I the missed it. The cake you ordered, they probably just shipped I to missed the next it by, I missed it by a day. Yeah. Right? Wow. So, so uh, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was my experience with Daniel. But I've, I've been on the court with him and other players. But, but my best, the best time I had was playing with Kim Kleisters. I hear uh, she's one of the nicest in the world. Yeah, and, and uh, we were playing against um, Dominic... Um, who was a hockey player that was a great tennis player? Dominic Moore. Dominic Moore, who was a ranked junior tennis player. And he runs that ping pong or table tennis tournament, yeah. the charity tournament. Yeah, too. so it was Dominic Moore, and he was playing with Kutsitsnova, and I was playing with, uh, with Kleisters. Wow. And this was her comeback after winning the U.S. Open, then taking the time off to have the kid, and now she was coming back to... So this was here at the Rogers Cup, is that At right? the Rogers Cup. Yeah, wow. So they used to do this... Um, 
kind of on the Sunday where it was qualifying weekend, and they still do it, but they used to do this sort of pro-am kind of thing, and they would bring out, like, me, Jim Cuddy, like, guys who were known that play tennis. And we would all, and Dominic Moore was one of them, sometimes would be other hockey players, and we would always end up doing, if the women were in town, we'd do a mixed doubles thing. How that like a out. set, and How I played with Kleisters. Out. Well, we won. <laughs> well done. We won Congrats. with Kim, yeah. and and um, and I remember I I remember saying to Kim, I said the last time you were here, I watched you play in the final, and I said if you play like this, um, in the U in the U.S. Open, you're going to win the U.S. Open, and you won the U.S. Open, and she said, well, let's hope. It happens again this year. Prophetic. And then she Prophetic. went on to win the U.S. <laughs> Open, right? Oh. But she only made the quarters in Toronto that year. But she was playing really well. And she let me play in the ad side, being a left. let you do yeah. your thing, yeah. right? And Kusisnova hit a wide. My, it was the highlight of my life, okay? Kusisnova <laughs> hits a kick serve, right, to a lefty. So she's hitting a kick serve to my forehand. Yeah. Dominic moves towards the middle. And I rip a ball down the, down line. the line, and the place is packed. There's like at least seven thousand people in the place, yeah. and I get like this cheer, and, and <laughs> Kleist just comes over, high fiving, and like she's smiling. She can't believe I ripped this ball down the wow, line, and then I'm, and I'm like, okay, that's it. I can I can quit now. <laughs> you don't get that kind of response at the Mayfair Club, right? No, when no, you're, uh, not when you're even doubles. when I, even when I've won tournaments there. No, <laughs> no, it was like without a doubt my tennis highlight of my life. So. Oh, that's very impressive. Uh, I'll just mention another doubles player, active one. He's been so good in singles. Vashik Pospisil uh, won the doubles title in Marseille last week with uh, Nicholas Mahou, and he had a couple wins in singles. Again, fell in the quarterfinals to Stefano Tsitsipas, and I'll mention he's playing in Calgary at a challenger this week, which feels a little too easy for him, honestly, with the way he's been playing. He's been so fantastic. Uh, Milos Raonic, he was in Delray Beach, got to the semifinals there, fell to Riley Opelka, who was the eventual champion. And we got a couple of good events this week as well, Acapulco yeah. and Dubai. Yeah, and just on Vashik there, first of all, great to see him playing some some doubles again. Um, he kind of took a break from doing the doubles, trying to focus on his singles, maybe yeah. almost too much so uh, before the back injury. So I think it's kind of good to get him balanced and doing that as well. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, clearly he committed to this Calgary event before um, this this resurgence really took hold, I would say, because it is kind of odd to then head out west for a small tournament with, let's be honest, no real points or or money for him. But he's well on his way uh, to returning towards the top 50, the way things have gone. And and we've all talked about this lately with no points to defend. Uh, you know, sky's the, the limit for him really between now and the summertime. Sky's the limit. I, I'm just curious as to, I know the ATP Cup insists on the top two ranked uh, singles players, and I guess because he was trying to concentrate on singles, but why didn't they have him there as a doubles player this year? Because there were a lot of lower-ranked doubles players there. My, my intuition, I think, is that uh, for him, he was focusing on you know his next singles event and and didn't want to just go to be the doubles guy, perhaps. Right. Yeah. You know that he's trying to rebuild the singles because again, that's where the the money's going to come from, and that's his still his prime focus. Right. Um, 
But yeah, it could have been useful in, in the doubles. I, I just think it's a little odd because when you look at Davis Cup, which only happened a month earlier. Oh yeah, don't get he, us started on this again because how many international competitions can we have within so many weeks? No, but of each I'm other? saying, but let's 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 put that aside because right. that's another Actually, I'll tell you why as well he was playing because he, he signed up for the ASB classic and at that point he had to go through qualifying. So right. that was actually crossing over technically right. with the ATP Cup, so he couldn't have been there. Which, which where was the, the ASB cl- Classic is in Auckland. Auckland. Oh, the Auckland tournament, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So he was there, and he made the round of sixteen there. Um, I'll I'll just uh, mention what we have going on this week because Nadal is in action in Acapulco. We have Djokovic in action in Dubai, and, and Novak on a nineteen match winning streak. Very very impressive right now. Uh, definitely kind of the player to beat. And uh, Jeannie Bouchard as well, turning twenty six years old today. So Boy, happy she's, she's birthday really getting up there. Jeannie. Happy birthday, Jeannie! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I... What do you I, think happened with Jeannie? Well, before we kind of debate that, I, I, I had just written in my notes, d- despite the naysayers and, and what you make of her career, uh, you can't take away the fact that she was a Wimbledon finalist in 2014, that she she did have those astonishing results. And, and not just a Wimbledon finalist, but that year she made the semis at the, the Aussie and semis at the French as well. I mean, right. how many players ever get a year like that, it's even true. though she didn't win the big one, and even though it has been... Uh, you know, a downward uh, trajectory for her since then for whatever the reason. Is it injuries? Is it too many off-court uh, other things that I, she's I involved th- in? Is it that the game has just evolved and her game is still sort of what it what it was then? No, I don't. I don't. I think it's a little bit of that. I don't think it's those other things. I don't think those are a detriment. We've talked about that. Good for her for making as much money as she can during these years because when it's all over... You got to start something new unless you've you've banked it or you've got that brand that she's been working on. So yeah. I th- I think I think that um, let's 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 take away the now and let's look at what happened immediately after she had that right. There's and, a concussion the year after. Yeah, I think there's that, but I also think that the other players figured out her game. Yes, and I think she only has one game. Well, and, the, and, and she doesn't have she does not have a plan B game. Right, she has one game, and that game can still put her in the top hundred or so in the world. Right, but she, she was there she, a year but she, ago. But none of us in this room, nor will she, be happy being in the top one hundred. No, but I think uh, her new coach Jorge Tadero, they were they were talking about changing things tactically, and uh, yeah. she can't as comfortably just stand on the baseline and take the ball on the rise all the time. There's too much power on the women's tour. Uh, to be able to do that with with much success. Well, and in fact, in fact, you know, it's I I said this to um, um, uh, to Stacy when she was running the Rogers Cup. Stacy Allister. Yeah, Stacy Allister before she went on to run the WTA and everything else. And I don't think she liked that I said this to her. And I said maybe when they broadcast the women's tennis, and this does not take anything away from the women's game, is that maybe they should put more emphasis on the hold versus the break. The because importance of holding serve. The importance of holding serve. That that that. In other words, the hold is is the rule, and the break is the exception. Right. Right. And and it's not it's not a diss on women's tennis. Is that the women return really strong? The women's ground strokes are really strong. Where they're not as strong as the men per se. Is the serve? Yeah, There's only the a few difference. women that have big, big serves that can win just based on their serves. Right. But all of them have massive ground games. Mm-hmm. And so there's way more breaks in women's tennis. You'll see. And it's people, part of what I love about it. Well, but there you go. So maybe the break should be the rule 
and the hold should mm. be the exception. Look at it the, the other way around. If you look at it saying. the other way, then yeah. all of a sudden it's not like because break is almost a negative thing in tennis, right? Yeah. For, if you're the server, instead it should be if if you switched how you looked at it, maybe it would be a different philosophy on the game because no, maybe. because when they first started that wasn't the case, but with the rackets and the strings and how much they concentrate. I guarantee you, you know, I've been to Boletaries. I've gone there as an adult. I've done the adult program many times, and I've watched them train the players, and they never serve. Mm-hmm. They never serve. They spend all their time doing ground strokes. Yeah. That's all they do. Right. And I, I've sat and watched for hours, and I never see anybody practice their serve. Hey, one player I can't wait to see back serving and returning. And uh, this, you know, before we wrap up, we got to talk about Bianca, who oddly enough is back up to her career high ranking of four this week, even though she hasn't stepped foot on the court for a match in 2020. Uh, the latest word from her coach, Sylvain Bruno, through Tennis Canada is there is still uncertainty if she will be ready for Indian Wells. So that certainly doesn't uh, in- inspire confidence that we're going to see her back on tour anytime soon. Um, and she's going to lose a lot of points. Yes. It, well, I, I think I think the important thing for Bianca maybe is this year, and, and we see the parody on the WTA. Don't worry about the ranking. Don't don't worry about what your ranking is. Worry about getting 100 percent healthy. Well, this is what I'm worried about though, because it's been how many months now since she's been on a tennis court that this knee is still. Well, yes. So that that's the concern right now is her health. That that's the utmost concern. But I just tell other people, don't be worried about her ranking. We saw Sophia Kennan seated number 14 go and win the Australian Open against Garbina Muguruza, who was unseated. Right. Does the ranking matter that much uh, at all in terms of her chances? Health is number one. If she is 100% healthy, she was the best player on the planet on the women's side last year, and that's what's going to matter. I, 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 I agree with you 100%. I think that the, the ranking, really, what's, what is the ranking? It's like in, in my business, it's like the chart, right? What is the ranking? It only tells you how well you're doing against everyone else. It doesn't really tell you how well you're doing. Mm. So if she she drops in ranking, it's it's not gonna it it it's it, where it affects the where it affects her is seated in tournaments. Um, you know who she plays in earlier rounds, sure. whether she gets those buys in those earlier rounds, and yeah. that's where it's really important. She's gonna lose if she doesn't play Indian Wells. She's gonna lose all the points she got from Indian Wells. We could see her drop significantly. I yeah. don't know what the number's going to be. It's the one argument I have with the WTA. I wish they would tell me what the tournaments are worth. Like, I can keep track of the men's In terms of uh, just have the number right I next can to you. You mean like the website? <laughs> like looking at the website yeah. to see that? Like, I can, I can see, okay, they're playing a 250. I know the loser of the 250 gets of the final gets 160 points. I know the well, winner gets two fifty. Mandatory always gets a thousand as well. Uh, but on the women's side, but they the don't. Side. But they don't. Put you don't the, see it as well, right? It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not. It's there not there for you and, to see. And it would be so much better for them. You want to talk about marketing the WTA? It would be so much better for them if we could keep track of it in a much easier way. You're right. Right, like it's, it's it, it, none of that information is there. Yeah, uh, and just uh, Premier Five, for example, nine hundred ranking points. Premier, 
is uh, 470. Which it's too is confusing, a bit too, of these names that are too number. similar, right? But, like, and why are they coming up with those weird numbers? Well, yeah, that, that changed, uh, what, a few like years the, ago. You, the ATB got it right, 1,500, 250. It's a little it more simplified, sense, right? for it's, sure. Right, and then they have the it's 125 intuitive. challengers, and it's like, it, yeah. it makes total sense. Yeah. It's, it's the metric system. Right? They yeah. use the metric system. Like, it all makes sense. But the women's, it's, you, you can't keep track of it. Like, who who knows what's going to happen each week except in the majors. Right. Where we know what the majors are worth. Right? No, so. it is uh, definitely more difficult. Uh, but uh, that be the case, Bianca would have 1,000 points falling off the ranking if she doesn't play any walls, which is obviously very w- Where would that put her? That would put her as of now. I mean, things will change, but that would, I believe, drop her to number 11. So that would be a bit of a drop. But uh, Only 11? Only 11, though. because She's have got a, a lot of late-season points, get 2, too, right? 2,000 points from uh, winning the U.S. Open. And Rogers Cup as and well. And Rogers Cup so. is another 1,000. And you oh, know yeah, what? She's, she's sitting at 4,600. Yep. Now, eh, I see her dropping to 16. You know, either way. Because Conta's sitting right now at 2,753. Either way, so she's she's proven she can come oh back. Oh no, it's thirty-seven. Right, thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah you're right. right. She's yeah. proven she can come back and play her top-level tennis even after a lengthy layoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did last year, so yeah. that bodes well too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, she she's kind of like really hasn't played that much when you think about it's it. It's true. It's true. Right? She hasn't yeah. played a lot of tournaments. When she plays, she wins. That's uh, that's what I kind of. What I, I, I didn't. I hadn't listened to it yet, and I apologize for not listening because I did notice that you guys had Brad on, and then I stopped. And Brad and I, I love Brad Gilbert. I think he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what did he say about Bianca? Well, he, oh my he called, uh, he called high me, praise. Uh, high praise. He, he said she's the best player in the women's game, in his opinion, and he called her a mini Rafa. She reminds him of a mini Rafa Nadal, which I found very interesting. Also made me excited to watch her for a full clay court. On a clay court, Because yeah. I think a lot of great things could happen if she did play. Uh, unfortunately, we are running out of time. Uh, but, Jake, so happy to have you uh, here in studio sharing some some terrific stories. And I, I know we had a couple Tragically Hip song, uh, questions that we didn't really get to. But I went uh, this whole episode without making a Tragically Hip pun, which I was I was on the fence. I was either going to go <laughs> fully, completely. Oh, sh- I just uh, did it. Sorry. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So, anyways, man, man, but, like he knew that was coming, yeah. right? It was like, man, you telegraphed that from like a, a you know, down the street. I'll work <laughs> on the like, subtlety of my delivery <laughs> uh, next time. Yeah. Uh, we did want to ask you, Jake, uh, for our exit song on the podcast this week. What tragically hip song would you pick? You mean what song by the tragically hip? Oh, right. I forgot the the. The yeah. It's it's a thing with me. I know. Uh, I read I, that. I spent years dealing with it. I read it. that. Um, if I had to pick, I didn't know I was going to be asked to pick one song. Well, we can only I, play one to, to close it well, out. Well, I think we have to go to a, a sports song. Okay. And mm-hmm. would have to be 50 Mission Cap. Oh, yeah. That's very good. Hockey song. Yeah. Well, actually, if you ask Gord, it's not a hockey song, but. Okay. But um, let's go with 50 well, Mission Cap. Let's go Cap. with that one. Perfect. Okay. All I right. Like it. It'll uh, fade us out. Uh, you have been listening to Matchpoint Canada. Our guest this week was Jake Gold. You can find him on Twitter at Jake0458. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We will talk to you next time.